On this week, as we said, and as we've been marketing, we're going to talk about uh, something that is um, uh, a big deal and sometimes ignored. Um, young people say pachyderm. Young people say that again, please. Pachyderm. I know we have more young people than that. I heard a deep voice. I heard a deep voice like somebody that wished they were young. <laughs> young people say pachyderm. Okay, somebody asked, why do you use, you know, words like that? Because I believe in church you ought to be educated in every area. Uh, there was a, a, a guy, there was a preacher uh, that told me this when I was a student at Southwest, and his daughter is actually part of this church right now. But he told me, and he shared this with me a long time ago, when you hear a word and you don't know what it means, don't scoff at the person who said the word you don't know and say they're trying to be smart. What you do is look it up so that now you know what they're talking about. Amen? And I'm, I, I want, I don't care what the ed, actual education level is sitting in the pews, I want us to fashion ourselves and I want us to be learners. A pachyderm is simply a large mammal with rough and thick skin. And of course, that would fit very good. That would fit three categories of animals. And of course, you got the rhino, you got the hippopotamus, and you got the what? Divorce is the pachyderm that's been muted in the pulpit and pews. It's the elephant in the room. It's the thing that churches don't want to deal with. We sweep it under the carpet. We would like to just deal with the ideal and the idea that marriage is beautiful, and it is. And God, and let me just give you a few scriptures and then lay it down. And I'm going to ask our panelists because today... And next week will be our preaching panel series where I'm going to preach a little bit and then we're going to have a panel so that we can get past some things uh, and so that we can be healed from some things and so that we can understand some things so that our approach will not be as judgmental, as, as brutal, uh, and as ecclesiastically insensitive. Now let me just say, and I'll ask our panelists to come up now, let me just say what God says about divorce. Number one, divorce was not an option when God created marriage. Okay? If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. Real life, go there. In real life, in real time. Genesis chapter 2. I need to lay this foundation because I know uh, I grew up in this fellowship and I know there are people uh, some of the more uh, rigid personalities and conservative personalities. There's nothing wrong with that, being conservative, if that's how you are. Uh, but uh, there are certain things people want to hear first, even though they are the obvious, but, we, we, but I want to lay down this foundation. The foundation is this, that divorce is not something that God made. Man made divorce. It was never part of the option, an option for marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 and following, the Bible says what? He caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Read. He slept. He took one of his ribs. Closed up the flesh. Uh-huh. 
uh, the Lord God did what? Fashioned into a woman. He fashioned it into a woman. The rib which he had taken from the man. The rib man, which he had taken, read. And brought her to the man. Uh-huh. And the man said. What did the man say? This is now bone of my bones. You look like me. You're, you have the same flesh as I have. And flesh of my flesh, uh -huh. she shall be called woman. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Because she was taken out of man. For this cause, For this cause shall a man leave, leave what? His father, father and his mother. mother and, and shall cleave to his wife. That is the formula. That is God's ideal. Period. Period. Shall cleave to his wife and the two shall be one. Period. Okay, let's lay that foundation. That is how God set it up. Period. That's it. There was no option in the beginning for divorce. Okay? That is God's standard. That is his perfect standard. What does that look like? In spite of what happens, this is what it looks like. One man for one woman for your whole life. Amen. Right. That's it. That's the standard. As a matter of fact, and I'm, I know I, I'm going to take and part the approach we've taken in the past, but then I'm going to obliterate it because imperfect people cannot, watch this, push a perfect standard as if they are perfect. The perfect standard, one man, one woman, for your whole life. Uh, one man, one woman for life. But what if she gains weight? One man, Amen. one woman Amen. for life. But what if, what, if he, what, if he starts, what if he starts just acting crazy? And, he, you know, he, you know he, 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 what if he doesn't cuddle with me anymore? One man, one wife. Okay, now you, you just say what's on this side because you messed up their line over there, brother. You say what your line is, right? Right? What if we don't get along anymore and we argue every day and I just can't stand this person, God? What, is you, what do you say, God? One man. That's it. But look. Look. Here's some statistics. Statistics: 50% of all marriages in the United States end in divorce. Right. That means married, divorce, married, divorce, married, divorce. But God's standard is what? One man. But church people are divorced. But God's standard is what? One man. I've got five more minutes before we go into this panel. Let me show you what else God says about it. Malachi chapter 2. Y'all all right? Because the challenge of this, before we read Malachi chapter 2, and the challenge that... Uh, the reason why I approach this with caution is because in dealing with divorce and ministering to divorced people and people that have experienced that, we don't want to be misunderstood to condone divorce. 
we don't want to be misunderstood to encourage divorce. Because if we encourage divorce, we put ourselves at odds with God's standard. Okay? So, so we, want, we want to push God's standards for the sake of prevention. Right? That's how God wants it. But yet, we want people who are almost there to be reconciled. But yet, we want people who had that experience to be restored. So how do you teach it in a way where the religious conservative can't walk away saying, over there at Mountain View, they say that you can go ahead and get a divorce. That you should go ahead. You can just do it. Just divorce it. How do you teach it in a way uh, uh, to where uh, the person who is wanting to get out says, you know what? Look at that. That's just what I needed to tell, to give you the deuces. I needed to hear. God came. God spoke to me today. Can I be real with you guys? God spoke to me today in that lesson. Go, is a spouse that comes to church by herself or by herself. You know what? I went to church today and God spoke to me in a lesson today. So uh, you got 30 days. So, but yet how can we teach it in a way to where people who go through the pain and the hurt and the rearrangements and the, and the upheaval of that can be healed and restored? This is a scripture that God says, but we in our fellowship over the years have weaponized. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 2, verse number 16, what? Can't see. So okay. If you're going to read now, you, you got to be ready. I got it. I got it. I got it. This is what he says. For I am against divorce. A virgin, uh, one virgin says, I hate divorce, saith the Lord. God hates divorce. Let me hear you say that. God hates divorce. He hates it. He says, I hate it. Now, the reason why another virgin says sending away, because divorce in the Eastern culture is different, and in that time, different than what we've made it to be. We've made it to be documentation and courtroom appearances and all of that. Divorce simply means, in the original text, it means to send away. It means to send away, okay? I need you to hear me now. In biblical culture, uh, and in the, in, in back in the day, when a man married a woman, he was completely responsible for taking care of her. Women did not provide for the household. Are you understanding this? Women were not responsible for going and getting a job and providing for a household. That's our westernized contemporary culture now. So when a woman was married to a man, she was a dependent. She depended on, if she ate because he fed her, she had because he gave her. He was her husband and she was his wife and responsibility. If you read through the Old Testament, divorce meant to send away. 
And it wasn't about the woman to the man. Because women didn't divorce men in Bible times. The only ones that did the divorcing was the man. So now you have a woman that completely depends on the man and he sends her away. And the first time we see the word divorce in Scripture is in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. After 430 years of God's people being uh, slaves to Egypt. So you might, you, you might, it might be good to do some, some study on ancient Egyptian culture when it comes to marriage because any group of people that's enslaved for, for centuries and centuries to another group of people will be influenced by that people and they will develop things and traits, customs and habits and ways that that people have. So when God moved the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, he had to recalibrate them so that they can get as much Egypt out of them and as much of him in them. Are you understanding this? So you see the word divorce. But was the what, or writing of divorce, was, did divorce exist before that? Yes. And here's an example of what that looks like, the sending away, that thing that God says, I hate. I hate the sending away. Number one, it goes against how he sets it up. Number two, it causes so much collateral damage. Genesis chapter 21, verse number 9, and I'm going to do it briefly because I've got to stop. Genesis chapter 21 uh, and verse number, beginning with verse number 9, if you remember Abraham and Sarah couldn't wait on God to fulfill and make good on his promise when God told Abraham, from your seed all nations will be blessed. So Abraham and Sarah were waiting. They were getting old and they were getting, they were starting to wor worry about whether or not God was going to make good on it. So Sarah and Abraham agreed to it, came up with this brilliant idea this brilliant in her mind idea that you know God didn't give us a son yet maybe maybe we should make this happen maybe we should make happen what God said would happen so what Sarah did is go said go into my servant Hagar go into her and give her a child and that'll be the, that'll be your that'll be your son that'll be our child that'll be your child and so that you can you can have uh, children after you so that happens. Well, when we get to Genesis 21, what happened is God made good on his promise. Isaac was born in Genesis chapter 21. The child that Hagar and Abraham had was Ishmael. Well, here's the problem. That was a meantime provision based on impatience and based on faithlessness. And how many of us have to live out with our decisions that we made when we were impatient and when we were faithless even after things get better? God fulfilled his promise, but now guess who was living in that house? Hagar and Ishmael. It was now Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac with Hagar and Ishmael. And in the Bible times, in the Old Testament, you didn't get married based on standing before a preacher in the courtroom. No, you, when you decided to have sex, that was your spouse. Aren't you glad we live in the New Testament? And I'm going to leave it right there and I'm going to let your mind take it from there because that's your business. That's your business. Your mind can take it from there. I will say and ask a rhetorical question. How many times would you have been married by now? But anyway, 
anyway. In Genesis 21, beginning with verse number 9, Sarah gets angry. She starts throwing shade. She sees Isaac and Ishmael, and she sees Hagar, and she says, Oh, no, there's no way, no way Isaac is, is you know, Ishmael is going to take the rights of the firstborn. No way. Abraham, she got to go. And the Bible says in verse 11 that this distressed Abraham. Now he has to, and it distressed him because there was Ishmael. So now you have in the Bible a child that becomes a victim of ascending away. Abraham sends Hagar away. Now, all of the provision that came from being under Abraham, gone. Her and Ishmael. And God told Abraham, listen, calm down. I'll take care of them. He didn't demonize them. He didn't vilify them. Because the truth of the matter is that God hates divorce, but that ain't the only thing he hates. So those who use and weaponize Malachi, God hates divorce. You're getting divorced. You got a divorce. God hates divorce. Yeah, God does hate divorce. But according to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, he, hurt, he hates a lying tongue too. He hates feet that are swift to run the mischief. He hates those who sow discord among brethren. The reality is we don't live in an ideal world. Churches have married people. Churches have divorced people. So instead of going back and forth in Bible classes trying to figure out something that was an issue since the days of Jesus and that people, that was a hard saying, it's time for us to minister to people wherever they are. Amen. Say amen if you agree. Amen. All right, we're good. We're good. So uh, I decided and took evangelistic privilege to, to, to make this more uh, applicable, tangible, uh, to invite brave souls who would come up and uh, be on a panel so that we can understand that at the end of the day, our job is not to demonize and vilify. Our job is to hold up God's standard, right? to reconcile when things are rocky, but also to help and to heal and to move forward with God and not create a class system in the church based on the most close, intimate relationship that exists, which is married, marriage. At the end of the day, you don't know people's marriage. I don't care what you see, you don't know people's marriage. I don't care if you see them on Facebook. Well, I studied their Facebook page. You crazy. Number one, now you're a stalker and you're a judgmental person. You don't know people's marriage. And while you up there saying, that, oh, that's how I want to be, you don't, you don't know, what, you don't know what, what you're asking for. It is the most close, intimate relationships. So since you, and we're going to talk about this next week with the preaching panel, since you don't know, why are you taking sides? That's what we do in churches too. Well, I like this person. 
I'm going to stand with you. You need to stand over there and worry about the dust in front of your own front door because the devil is after you too. Okay. We got to stop. We got to stop. Okay. So this is what we did. We're going to do this, and uh, we're going to do this next week. And if we need to extend it a week, we're going to do it again uh, because I think this needs to be dealt with. And it's interesting. There are people watching online right now who, when we market it, said, oh, I want to see it. I want to see it. Uh, I'm going to ask that you go around and introduce yourself, just a brief introduction, and we'll get right into it. Is this helping anybody? Right. All right. Mm -hmm. We'll start with, uh, let's start with you, Sister Clayton. Good morning, church. My name is Lisa Clayton. I'm currently employed as a high school English teacher for the Dallas Independent School District. I was married for 11 years. I've been divorced for five. Uh, I'm also going to go ahead and claim the victory as being a cancer survivor. I just finished radiation. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Um, I finished radiation June 17th. Many of you know my story with that journey, but I'm so grateful and uh, I'm excited about this opportunity to be able to minister to others who really need this. Amen. Hello, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Greg Landrum. I've been divorced for um, about 11 years now, but I'm remarried to Candace Landrum. I have six beautiful kids who I love and adore tremendously. I'm a fashion stylist for Nordstrom's. So that's what I do for a living, and just continue to pray for me. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Dr. Jacqueline Rogers. I'm, I'm a licensed professional counselor, supervisor, have private practice in Midlothian, Texas. I've been married to Lance for 29 years. We have three beautiful kids, Faith, Erica, and Jonathan, and I have one grandchild, Stephen, who's three. All right. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Carlos Smith. I work for Bank of America. I've been married for 12 years and divorced for about five years, but God has blessed me to be remarried to Marcia Smith. Right over there. <laughs> <laughs> and I thank God for this opportunity so we can just put this Amen. out in the open. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kim Brown. I currently am an attorney and I practice in family law. I've done so for over 24 years. Uh, I attend Greenville Avenue and um, I'm also married and I've been, I'll be married 21 years uh, next month, or this, yes, next month. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have two children. One is here uh, this morning with me. And uh, currently I'm, I'm running for judge uh, here in Dallas County. And so I appreciate the support that you show me uh, this morning. And I'm hoping that the information that I have for you uh, will be of help to you. Amen. Good morning. My name is uh, Brother Gay. I serve as one of the bishops here at the congregation, along with the other Brother Carr and Brother Twyman. Uh, and also my, my involvement in the panel is to share in how we as elders and also ministers de uh, deal with the process of uh, this, this divorce or remarry or the uh, reconciliation and also involvement in how we uh, address it. Uh, also, we have to look at, we, are, we know that as leaders, we've been given our marching orders by, by the Holy Spirit and they said we to feed the flock, but the flock doesn't have the same appetite. So we have to be able to know what the appetite is for the flock so we can go, uh, our main focus is to restore or reconcile but when, when, when restoration turns to desperation, 
we have to be able to, to sit up and be deal with whatever the focus is at that particular time, with it, it, whatever the member is. So my, my involvement is in sharing that, how we deal with that uh, on the panel. All right. All righty. So we're going we're gonna to get started. Uh, and again, so that we can unmute this pachyderm that's in the pulpit and pews uh, of the issue of divorce. Uh, first, uh, first question, panel question is, how is divorce, and I, and I need you to notice there are professionals on here too in that area so that there's balance. There's a there are professionals, people who have been married again, uh, people who are divorced and moving, moving forward with life so that we can, so that it'll be holistic. How is divorce in our nation, in our nation, in your opinion, affecting the church? I guess I'll go first. Um, it affects the church by, because as Brother Hamilton part, uh, pointed out, that we are a family, the church is a family. And so when we go through a divorce, or when divorce occurs, you have depression, you have an increased level of anxiety, you have feelings of loneliness, isolation, brokenness, and we are sitting and talking to these people you know, every day within the body. So it affects each one of us individually, um, indirectly or indirectly, it affects us. Yes. I'd like to direct this, uh, before you speak, Greg, to Sister Kim Brown, who is a lawyer and, and will be judged prayerfully, uh, uh, yes, uh, in family court as you take a more political stance? Yes. Um, when I hear this question, um, I, I want to say that some of the same issues that are affecting uh, our nation as a whole are affecting people in the church. Uh, so uh, some of the same issues uh, members have to face uh, whether or not they want to approach the idea of a divorce. Um, fortunately, they are in a family, a church family, and they may be able to receive some assistance with the issues they're dealing with. So that can help them increase their chances and not face uh, the one in two marriage um, statistic and hopefully fight the issues that they are undergoing. So um, when I say that um, some of the same people in the church are, are facing that same statistic, I think that we are fortunate enough to have um, our church family to help us get past that. And uh, just like here at Mountain View, you have a church that's willing to address these issues and um, focus on the needs of the church. Um, something past having to be fed, but it's fed in a different way. Uh, it's fed emotionally. Um, also, people who are facing divorce uh, have to face a visitation order. Um, they have to deal with um, where their children are and making sure that the children see both parents. And maybe um, both parents are no longer in church together, so they're having to deal with some of their family being in church one Sunday and maybe having to be another place another Sunday. You also have members who are dealing with finances. Um, finances where they were in one household are now having to stretch to two households. So um, there are a lot of issues that feed into our members um, 
our counselor mentioned depression and, 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 and the grieving process of um, leaving a family that once was and moving into a new situation. So all of those factors are affecting members in the church just like everywhere else. Amen. Brother Greg. Um, it affects the church because, you know, <clears throat> it separates your family. And also makes you not even want to go to church no more because you think people are going to be so judgmental to you. And because of that factor, you just feel like you don't want to be bothered. And also it separates the fact that if you was married into a situation, you have kids, they suffer too because, you know, a good example, I moved from Boston and I was living in Georgia just to get my mind right once I got a divorce. But two of my daughters was affected by that and then you don't get to see them for a while. And then when you don't see them, after two or three years, you see that they're grown up and you're like, wow, where I've been. So it affects you emotionally and mentally. I would like to address this next question to uh, those who uh, have actually been in a divorce because I don't think there's anybody that can know what works as far as encouragement than the people that needed it. So ministering to the pain of divorce, how, how, do, how, do, how does the church minister to the pain of divorce? What are some do's? What are some don'ts? Go ahead, Sister Clay. Go ahead, ladies first. Ladies first. I think before you can minister, uh, adequately minister to the pain of divorce, you have to realize what the pains of divorce are. And they are so varied. It's so much bigger than just uh, your boo being gone. There are emotional pains, financial pains, physical pains, emotional pains, psychological pains. So before you can minister, adequately, you need to be aware that there are different facets of pain and everybody is not equipped to minister to those. You need to be equipped to, to minister to certain pains. Um, uh, I believe that, um, you know, to also to be able to minister, even if you don't understand what the pain is, all of us have the ability to be sensitive, to be patient, to be understanding, to not be judgmental. So I guess in conclusion or summary or whatever, I'm just simply saying, I, I, I caution all of us, don't try to minister to somebody if you're not equipped to do so. You can do Amen. more harm than good. Amen. Amen. I actually agree as well. A lot of times when it comes to ministering, the first thing the church does is be the judge, the jury, and the executioner before you even know the facts of the situation. You see the person and you hear, you hear that they're divorced and you immediately assume, oh, it's her fault or his fault. So then at that point, that person takes a stance of closing up then. I don't want to open up to you when just from the first statement, I see that you already condemned me. So that's the main thing. And um, I agree with her. Once you start understanding a person, you start understanding what they're going through. They're going and through. if you've been in pain, you can recognize another person in pain. So start taking the time to listen to that. And actually a really, really good key is just listen. Sometimes you ain't got to say nothing, just listen. Mm. And also realize this is, you know, two sides to every story. Because I didn't, you know, it's funny, once I knew I got the divorce, I just pretty much like, I'm not going to do nothing in the church. And I was really just focused more on, on just getting myself together because you feel that if you try to do something in the church, they're going to say you wasn't worthy because of the mistakes you made. So it made me become very, um, not angry at the church, but maybe become like I was more focused on 
getting involved in the worldly things than I was in the church because you felt that the church people was going like, well, you made a mistake, so you can't do anything in the church. Mm. So. I think also in relationship to that uh, ministering to them uh, as a church goes, you have to be real with them. You have to be real, but the only way you're going to be able to be real with them, you have to have a relationship with them. And when you do that, when you have a relationship with them, then everything that's really going on can really come out and you can address those individual issues one at a time. And then you can also be able to you know, help them do, through the process because that's gonna be a process that you go through that's gonna be like, it's almost like you're going through a, 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 a losing a loved one. And you have different stages that you go through as far as anger, you know, depression, you know, disappointment. And then you get to the point, you gotta to get to the point of acceptance, you know, what you're going through. But you have to walk through them through that, through that phase and you have to be, you know, to understand that if, if there's a couple and you were, uh, there was a relationship with both couples, then you can't pick, you like you said, you can't pick sides. You have to say the same love you have for one, you have to have for the other one. And you have that same love, it's just, it's just spread it over. And so in, in relating to the ministering to the individuals that are, that are going through it, you have to be able to deal with the, the, the uh, misery of it, the, the moving on of it, and also the motivation of it. You know, once they get to the portal, get through all those phases, then you can help them as they go. But it's, it's an ongoing thing, it doesn't stop. It's an ongoing situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is for Sister Clayton and uh, Brother Landrum and uh, Brother Smith. Uh, and one, just for sake of time, in one sentence, what do you wish the church would learn uh, when it comes to dealing with people who have gone through divorce. And, and a couple of sentences, just really brief. Uh, that's, that's a, if you can just. Pretty broad category. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, again, recommend is first build that relationship. After building that relationship, first and foremost, go to God with it first. You know, seek God's guidance on it. And if you can get those two factors in perspective, I think the rest will be a little easier to deal with. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I just wish they would understand the pain you go through. It's very painful. I wish the church would understand that oftentimes, Monday through Saturday, you've been in a fight for your life. So when you get to church on Sunday, this is the last place you want to be questioned, ostracized, uh, the, the day of the week that it was perhaps the most exciting look, you know, day that I, I personally look forward to sometimes became the most difficult. So just realize that you've been in a fight. You don't want to come here and fight and ask questions and be judged. Amen. Amen. Do you all see it before we go to the next question? When it says God hates divorce, when God said that, he's not talking about a piece of paper. He's talking about the, everything that comes with it. God doesn't want us to be in this kind of pain, agony. Uh, he, he's not just talking about a decree. He's talking about the degrees of pain and agony. And so... Uh, hopefully we're, we're understanding this. Let me ask this. Uh, balancing ministry and prevention. 
which is, and this is for, open for everybody, how can we, with respect to what the Bible says, balance, which was the challenge that I just mentioned, balance ministering to people who are divorced as well as teach things that help and prevent people from having a divorce. I think we have more validation because if you don't, then you end up just like us. I think, uh, I think the, the biggest thing we have is we went through it. And so I have six beautiful kids, and all, I, I would just assume all six of them are going to get married. And if they do get married, I want them to be open and honest with them. I want them to understand the serious value of getting married. And then if they don't, then it's one of my beautiful kids that just getting a divorce, then obviously I'll be there, understand them and be there for them. But I just want them to understand that listening to what me and Candace have to say about marriage, I hope and pray that they will take that to heed. Right. And I just want to say we need to um, really have open, honesty, and transparent relationships when it comes to marriage. Because you see us and you think, oh, they've been married almost 30 years. They have it all together. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, most of the time, that isn't truth. We still have our same struggles. We've been through where you mm -hmm. uh, are younger people or newlyweds. I consider newlyweds maybe five years and younger that you guys are going through that whole adjustment period, that transitional period. And so we really need to be honest, open, and transparent about the struggles of marriage. Mm. Mm. And I think we need to begin some support groups on all that, not to say that. Absolutely, absolutely. I think actually when we start talking, when we do preach the word is to stay open and stay um, very clear to the facts. When people talk about it, like for instance, when we talk about Adam and Eve, growing up, I was just taught Adam and Eve and they had kids. Yeah, that was it. I'm like, okay. And then I came from a single parent home, so a lot of times um, when I got married, I didn't know what being a father meant. I didn't understand it. So I was learning as I go. So at the same time, me growing, I was also raising. So when the word is being taught, like JK just did a little while ago, he he reached each group. He touched each area with the same word. The word doesn't change for the group. It's the same word. Just make sure we understand and apply it correctly, and I think that's the best balance. Very good. Well, I think that balance is key. I think that teaching prevention is key. I think that ministering to those um, who need the help, emotionally or otherwise, is key. I think all of the above is needed. Um, you know, uh, some people aren't fortunate to avoid a difficult marriage or uh, avoid a divorce. Uh, it only takes one person to file and get a divorce. The other person doesn't have to agree. You know, and, and some people unfortunately go through that uh, situation. So uh, I think that having, and I don't think it's a conflict, I think that having all of those avenues available as a ministry is key to providing a balance um, for our members. Amen. And as I said, historically in our fellowship, we did prevention and we did, you know, reconciliation, but we dropped the ball after uh, when it came to those who, whose marriages dissipated. And this is what caused the big elephant in the room, 
because we've offered ministers ministry to people who were thinking about getting married and people that were married and struggling and needed help. But then we dropped the ball with those who divorced and they became a unspoken category of people in the kingdom. But the reality is everybody in here knows somebody who they love or are in some way connected to that experienced divorce. Raise your hand if that's the truth. Amen. So we know it, all right? How many of you in here uh, experience seeing it with your own parents? So, so to ignore it is to do the greatest injustice to the church. And I understand why now some people have a really rigid position, unnecessarily rigid. Because there are some people, I found out, who are just angry that some people got out of what they presently want to get out of. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but that's the reality. You know, I lasted this long. Yeah, but you're, you're not happy, and you're upset that that happened with them but not for the sake of the relationship. But if I had to stay in it, you got to stay in it too. <laughs> Unfortunately, we bring every bit of who we are to every situation. And if we were honest, that exists too. And has been sometimes the motivation for why people have dealt rigidly and angrily at people who had a less than ideal marital situation. Let me ask this, this is important. This is very important. For those of you who are thinking about getting married, young people you're dating, you got a boo, you, you know, you booed up. Oh, I love he, I love she. That's great. But I need you to know that it's not just a cruise ship, it's a battleship. Amen. It's true. What does fighting, what does fighting for your marriage look like? I must preface this statement by saying that it takes two people who want to fight for the marriage. Uh, it is very uh, disheartening, it's very tiring, very unproductive when you find yourself the only one who is fighting consistently. Uh, and you have to know when, to, when to, to wave the white towel of surrender. This is my experience, I'm talking about only me. Yes. So, but as I was fighting, what fighting to me, I realized I was in the fight by myself, but what I was doing personally is trying to continue to communicate, trying to not have pachyderms in the room at our house. I wanted to let's talk about them, but if you, you can't make anybody want to discuss or to want to be healed, so I finally had to, I just personally turned inward and start working on myself. Lord, whichever way this thing is gonna go, I'm going to start in advance working on Lisa. So once again, I believe fighting, it, it requires to be able to win two people who truly are honest about wanting to fight. Beautiful. Amen. And this question is for everybody, actually. Well, in my practice, I see, um, I do marriage counseling. And nine times out of ten, um, couples come in. One person is about to leave, 
It's the last ditch effort. I mean, it's just it. Divorce always occurs before you actually get to the paperwork. Mm. There's been divorce or separation for some time being. And so when I see them, one person is at the door, so now they want to fight. One person wants to fight for the relationship, and the other person say, well, I'll go just to say, I went to counseling. We went to counseling, but it didn't work out. Mm. And so even before that, I really want to say this to the um, married people, because marriage is a struggle. So I really want to say this. You know, we have um, checkups, once a year annual checkups. We need to also do that with our marriage. Maybe not every year, but every couple of years, two or three years. Go see somebody, talk to somebody, elders, deacons, minister, counselors, whomever. Talk with someone to make sure that we are still on the same page, we're traveling in the same direction, and although we are constantly evolving, that we are evolving together and not separately. Because a lot of times we just grow apart because we didn't have those interventions in place, right. those checkups in place. Right. Can you just say a little something about the growing apart? Okay. Oh, yeah, I can say something about growing apart. So <laughs> when you grow apart, guys, I mean, it's really easy to grow apart. That's because we're not communicating. We're not actively listening into, uh, to what the other party may be saying. And so, therefore, you find yourself wanting to go one direction, but it's never been communicated, and that person may be still the same person, you know, that they were when you got married before. You know, when you first got married, they're the same person. However, you have moved, you have grown, and decided you want to do something differently, but that has never been communicated. And now you expect them to be on the same page, but there's been no discussion. And so then you find yourself just, you know, gradually growing apart because we all evolve. We all move. I'm not the same. Last night I got married when I was 25. I'm 54, but we are not the same people anymore. So therefore, we have to ensure that we are steadily moving and growing together because it's really, really easy to um, become separate. You know, our kids separate us. Yeah, I, I can preach a whole sermon on this. Our kids <laughs> are a dividing factor in the marriage. Kids, you know, they, they bring a lot to a marriage. And so it's very important that you work together as a couple. Amen. And then Thank the kids. You. You're welcome. Thank you. Amen. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say something about that question as well. I like the idea. I had a few things I noted um, for people because I get that question a lot uh, in my practice. You know, the marital counseling, the marital retreats, uh, doing things for your marriage, uh, increasing communication. Um, the individual work is excellent as well. Um, marital uh, counseling involves the two of you. Sometimes just one of you needs to go and get some individual uh, counseling to help yourself be a better part of that two, that two person. Also, if you find yourself um, thinking about it, and I know uh, even marriages that have been together a very long time sometimes have uh, you know, a brief second of thought I'm thinking about what it would look like if I ventured into the divorce world. Before you even hit that point, you need to um, go and see an attorney. Not because you're gonna file, but because you need to know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's even a deterrent as to pursuing the divorce actually. Mm -hmm. So it's very good to sit down with a professional to be able to tell you what that's gonna look like for your family, for your children. And by the way, children are the number one 
uh, sufferers in a divorce ever. They're just number one. Also, what your finances are going to look like and, and actually just what it would look like, period, for you as a single person um, having had a family uh, situation. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Good information, isn't it? I wanted to add to it, um, basically being real. One of the things about marriage that a lot of people don't think about is that you knew the person before you got married. You knew them. So you knew what you were marrying. You had in your mind that, you know what, I love them. They'll change. Well, if you understand who you're marrying, and then you get married, and then you're like, oh, where this came from, or I didn't expect this. No, it was there when you started. So being real about that when you're together talking or thinking about it, you know what you're walking into. Don't be surprised after you get married, it shows up. You know, we're like, oh, I didn't know that they were going to do that. No, yes, you did. They were doing it when you met them. So that's the main thing I say for those that are thinking about marriage is understanding who the person is and understanding yourself first, knowing you got habits as well, that when you get married, your habits will show. They just don't disappear. Amen. They don't cover up. That they're there. Amen. I think also in, in, in regards to the question, you have to, it's very important that you uh, do seek marriage counseling. It's very important because the thing about it is some people get in, some people fall in love with the idea of the wedding or the fascination of the honeymoon. But then when it gets time for the, for the marriage, that becomes the job. You know, it's, now you got to go to work in the marriage. So we have to understand that, we, you know, there's, you know, you get to know the individual. And, but the thing about it is once, even in the process of knowing them, they're going to change. But you have to understand, you have to recognize the change. And then, you know, not adapt to it, but adjust to, adjust to that in your, in your both of your lives. But one of the things that we do is, as, uh, as leaders, what we do, we'll, we'll talk to the individuals separately. If the things are going on, we'll talk to the individuals separately. Then we bring them together. And you find out once you bring them together, the, the story is not the same. Sometimes it's, it's, it's an advantageous conversation that you're having with them. But when you bring them together, the conversation changes because now it's just misunderstanding. And you just have to work out the misunderstanding of the part of that and then try to get them to work through that and then always stay prayerful in that situation. Man. I would say be willing to realize that you have some issues you have to deal with. I think a lot of times in marriage we go like this, point fingers at each other, and you'll do that for the next 20 or 30 years, then there's no solution. And then your pride will get in the way and then the devil will dominate you and then before you know it, you are divorced because no one wants to admit that they was wrong. And so I would say, fighting that, make sure you got yourself together. Don't worry about what your mate need to work on, but just worry about what you need to work on as an individual. And I think if you do that, and if the other person do that, I think you have a great chance of staying together. Absolutely. I have one quick comment on this question. Mm -hmm. I will say that there are often times when people come uh, to my office, their spouse has filed for divorce. Then all of a sudden they see the light, no, I didn't work hard on it. Um, what can I do to stop this, suspend the uh, proceedings? And if they tell me um, that that's what they want to do and they want to see a counselor, then that's what we show up for in a hearing and let the judge know, you know, that um, my client is here. Uh, he does, he hasn't had a chance. He or she hasn't had a chance to do counseling. Can we suspend and reset this hearing until that can be done? Now, I can tell you, um, typically the statistics are that it doesn't get resolved once a filing has been made. Because uh, filing is very serious, obviously. But uh, filing means something. It means that a spouse has thought about this for a while. Uh, it also says that um, they've had to tell mama and daddy and, and grandma that this is going to happen. 
Um, if they didn't have money to file, they've had to go to daddy or uncle or something to pay for the filing. So that increases the odds of them not going back on their decision. So you don't want to get to the point of a filing to take it seriously, in other words. You want to do everything that you can before that happens. Sure. Amen. And I hope nobody's sitting here listening as to, oh, this is how you can do it. This is how, I got my escape plan. No, this is about ultimately prevention and ultimately about reconciliation and ultimately about, about restoration. Now, I, I, this is not on the, I, I, didn't, I didn't, this is not on the list of questions, okay? So, um, but I want to, I, I, you to address the idea uh, that, you know, or let me just make it in the form of, of a question. Is it okay to not feel like being married anymore? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and yes. what warning should come with entertaining that feeling longer? Because the reality is, if, it's, if it is work, and it is, then if you and I don't feel like going, to, cannot feel like going to work where you get money as your reward, you, there are people, and I believe I'm speaking for people, whether, whether we show it or keep it hidden or tucked away under our psyche, that there are people in the audience right now that have been in places where they don't feel like being married anymore. Like they really don't want to do it. They don't want to exert the energy. What do you say to them? Well, I think what happens is that is the feeling turns into it. It no longer come, come from, becomes a feeling, becomes an activity. Now you start working towards that not being in that situation. You, you've already lived mentally. Now you're going to start trying to find a way to leave physically once you've lived mentally. But so what you have to do is understand that there's also a work in that as well that becomes negative because now you start doing things out of desperation or frustration. Then you start getting to the point to where you become confused and also misguided because now you become, after that, you, you become easy prey. We'll take one, one more on that because I didn't want to deviate too much. From I agree with Brother Gay. When you start thinking, when you're thinking, it's just a thought. It's when the thought becomes an action. And then the action then begins to feed itself and it feeds itself. And after a while, you realize you're actually doing the action. So a lot of times they, when we start thinking that, that's the, the gateway for the enemy. He just uses that moment to give you that person, oh, I didn't know you was going through that or that time or that place. And then after a while, you begin to see other things and begin to think that it's better on the other side. What's that phrase? Grass is always greener? Well, that's because you're on this side. But the work that you put in is what you have to pay attention to. Anytime those thoughts come, if you think about it, I mean, right now, even now, people go through a, a split second. You know what? I'm tired of you. But that was just what you was feeling that moment with that situation. That wasn't the totality of your whole entire relationship. So remembering that you've built something, and if you do have those thoughts, Talk to them. Most of the time, your wife's going to crush it anyway. But when you have those thoughts, they're just thoughts. It's when you really start feeding and they become actions. Right. So and we're going to move on. Also, can I, so, okay, so, go ahead. So I think like, when we start thinking that I just don't want to do this anymore, it's too hard, it's too overwhelming, mm -hmm. at that point, we probably should seek counseling, individual counseling, 
to see mm. what has occurred to make you feel that way. And then once we figure out, once we can get to what has happened, when did you start feeling this way? What triggered these feelings? We can start working through those feelings because you know our thoughts, what, you know, our thoughts lead to our emotions, our emotion leads to our behaviors. Right. And so that's CPT. But anyway, it always starts up here. Right? And then we, it produces a feeling, and then that's the way we behave. And so we can change the mind, and then we can change the uh, feeling, and we can change the behavior. So if you get to that point, please, please seek individual counseling. And then, of course, we'll bring the other person in at some point to try to get you guys back on the same page. But also, there's a wonderful book that I use. It's called Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work, and it has a lot of exercises in there where you go back to the beginning and come forward. Who authors that book? I'm sorry. You know the author? I'm Godman, John, Dr. John Godman. Just in and case. And I, I do have those seminars. I'm going to be having a seminar pretty soon on that, so <laughs> I'll let you guys know. But it's a great, great program. So you, may, you can get the book from Amazon. All right. Okay. Um, and, and of course, uh, all of this, we moved a little to prevention. Uh, I want to move back to the divorcee uh, thing. Uh, so here it is, you're divorced. Your life is now completely rearranged. Um, how, you know, whoever's going to still deal with you has manifest themselves. Whoever's not going to deal with you anymore has manifest themselves. Coming to church means something totally different now. Uh, people now have taken an interest in your own life. Now there's something that about your life that people know about and you know nothing of their life and they harp on what they know about you while concealing everything about them. Your life is totally rearranged. How can a person regain their life? Uh, finances are in upheaval, living arrangements, everything is just crazy. The kids... You are having to make choices. How do you, how does a person after all of that, that aftermath regain their life? That's where the church plays a large role in. And that's where I feel that, especially dealing with the men's ministry that I work for, that you begin to open up and show yourself and being transparent because someone is going through something and being there for them in, that, in their hour is the most important thing. And we've had several that's going through a moment, but being there for them in that crucial point to remind them, no, you are somebody. We can make this work together. Not letting them get off on the island by themselves thinking that I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Consistent reminding them that, you know, God is there. I'm here. And then begin to build that relationship and then expand it out. And that's one of the things that I'm proud about this church is that we do that. We reach out. We actually try to establish something, then we check up and we consistently check up so that we, we, I can gauge where you're at. And if there's, it needs more professional help, then we'll do that. But always showing that you're there, that you're available, that you know, you're trusting. And the most important thing for me was I go to God first. I pray about it. You know, can I help him? How can I help him? Mm -hmm. Amen. Regaining your life. This is how I've regained my life. First thing was acceptance. It took a minute, but I had to first accept that this is my new status, this is my new life. So after I accepted what was going on, I literally committed myself to personal growth and development. 
because I realized no one person is always wrong or whatever. What did Lisa, what could Lisa have done differently? I literally made a commitment to personal growth and, growth and development. Now, previously I told you that there, I believe before you can adequately minister to people, you need to minister to people's pain, you need to know the types of pain. So I personally compartmentalized those different types of pain and started to work on them a piece at a time. I had to make this practical, to, practical for me, so I, because otherwise it can become overwhelming. So what, some things that I did, some practical things I did is I took those different types of pain. Okay, so spiritually, what did I do? I, I was very intentional. I said, is my, is my pain intense? So is my praise going to intense? <clears throat> I'd heard all that. Now I'm living it. I don't care how bad I feel, how sad I feel. My praise must be intensified because this pain is intensifying. Mm. And I was very, very intentional mm. on a daily basis, mm -hmm. doing things, connecting with God on a daily basis. I hadn't always done that. Just, I had to do that. That is the only thing that sustained me. That is the only thing that made me walk through the doors of 4111 West Illinois is I didn't care about any of y'all. Forgive me. I'm not being ugly. It was about me and God. Uh, so I was very intentional. I took those different parts. Well, economically, uh, you go from being, you know, making some money, but it really didn't matter because you weren't the primary breadwinner. Everything was being maintained. And I had to reestablish myself. So I got another job. I had to downsize. I had to take care of the economic part of it. Uh, can't go buy this, that, and the other. Just take care of your finances and just live. I had to catch my breath financially. So I dealt with the spiritual, the financial, psychologically. I went to therapy. I still go to therapy. Every three months I go, and I'm five years in. I'm so grateful to tell y'all I have a therapist. I don't know what to do. Go. No. I highly recommend it. No. Uh, <laughs> physically, because when you're not mentally healthy, it affects your body. I already had some underlying medical things going on, but I, this is what I chose. I'm, I'm a vegan. I, I, went, I did something totally different, and I didn't do it just only for health purposes. I did it because it has helped me as a discipline. It has disciplined me. I said, so many things in my life seemed like they were out of my control, just going awry. I had nothing to do with a whole lot of things. But the one thing I could control is what goes in my body and what goes in my mouth. Amen. So I just compartmentalized different parts of my life. And I'm still working on it, guys. It still gets difficult because your whole world has been turned upside down. But that's the only way that I have been able to kind of catch my breath. But if you hear anything I said, you hear what I said. When your pain intensifies, your praise must intensify. Mm. Because when all this other stuff, jobs and money and people, oh, wait a minute, one more thing, y'all. You must have you a Peter, James, and John. I have me a little group. I'm sorry, you can call it a clique, and they know who they are. Peter, James, and maybe John might be here. I don't know. But you need to develop you some relationships before you get in crisis. Even in those relationships, one rate, another way I was able to move forward is those relationships were not meant to bash my ex. We have hardly had any conversations about him. They were all about how can, how can I get better with this situation? Because when you start bringing people into it, you get all these different ideas, different opinions, starts to affect your decisions and all that kind of stuff. So. I know I said, why you ask me this, brother? Honey, no, you know no, I, go ahead, go I ahead. so much to say. Go right ahead. Praise the Lord. This is, this, I'm real, real passionate about this because you have to have somebody. When the, when the sermon is not with you on Tuesday and Wednesday and, and your money is so funny, if you can just have somebody who you can call and say, girl, 
I am lonely. The loneliness is real. I am broke. I am not feeling well or whatever, but you need a, a little intimate circle. It doesn't need to be small. It need to be large, but just somebody who can give you good spiritual guidance. And I'm going to give a plug for Tressa Joe. Tressa's not here right now, but Tressa was one of mine even from a distance. Tressa, the Lord used Tressa and many others of you to minister to me, to minister me back to health. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. And let me just add, no one's ever alone if you're broke. Now, I'm just, I think, <laughs> no, that's I think, say amen if you've ever been on amen. broke street. Amen. One more thing. When I got to the point that I could pray for my ex, I was delivered. Oh, my God. Oh, my amen. God. Amen. My God, my God. Go ahead, Brother Greg. I decided um, I didn't want to go back to Boston, so um, I moved to Atlanta and really stayed with my mother for a while. I went back to my mother. My mother, um, she helped me out a lot. Um, I was broken. I was sad. I was mad. And my mother was giving me scriptures every day and just told me to just meditate and study on the Bible. Um, and I did that. And I got to know Greg Landrum again and who I wanted to become and what I wanted to become. Um, and that's why I'm so, that's why I guess I'm so encouraging to people when I, say encouraging things, it's not because I, I'm just trying to build your ego, it's because I, I want to see people win. Because we are so hard to down people. And when I got the divorce, people was downing me, so I wanted to change that whole outlook. Yes. Amen. Amen. Then God blessed me with, um, I have a brother who's a minister, his name is Chris Landrum, and uh, he told me to stay in the Bible, and I did. And um, and then a few years after that, I met to me a gift from God, and that was Candace. And Candace made me realize that um, I want to be a great man. Um, you know, and I'll say this to people who, you know, when you don't have that father in your life, it can affect you for a long time. I'm going to be honest with you. So that's why when I'm ministering to my young men, I really want to see them win. And I know they're not my biological Son, but I, I, I want to see them successful. So when they're successful, I, I, I'm just as happy as their parents because that's who I am right now. So those are the three things that helped me out. It was um, my brother Chris, thank God for my mother, and then God blessed me with Candace. And I have my kids too. So, you know, um, that's what got me through this moment. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going we're, we're to bring this plane uh, down for landing. Uh, uh, I know this is going to be, we're going to resume with this next week. Is this helping anybody? <laughs> I'm resolved not, I, I don't want to go in the way that we've gone in the past. And so many congregations, unfortunately, are still going that way to where they're so busy being judgmental that the environment no longer is an environment of healing. It's an environment of judgment. It's pre-judgment day. But people judging you that don't know what God knows. How crazy is that? This needs to be until Jesus comes again who will separate the wheat and the tare. This needs to be a place of grace. 
Because even if you sit there, you've been married for 230 years, <laughs> you don't know what's about to happen in the marriage of your kids or your grandkids. And so while you say this is not for me, you may be listening for your children. And you may be listening for your grandchildren. And you may be listening for yourself to reconcile some things in your own mind. Uh, so it, we're going to ask one final question. And this is the capstone. Uh, and we'll bring it all together. And that question is, does a divorce mess up your relationship with God? No, it does not. In fact, it brings you closer to God. It gives you the opportunity to understand who you are, where you are at, and what you're looking at. In fact, I think my prayer life overnight, it changed. I began to better understand myself. I actually was able to see some of my mistakes and realize that I contributed to a lot of this in the beginning, in the middle, and towards the end. In fact, it, it brought me to a place where, you know what? I actually had to look at my life and how was I walking with God? What was I doing? How was I acting in church? What was I portraying? Am I portraying the man that I am, the man that I'm showing in church? It made me really take a, a, a better stance with myself to start healing myself in the other process. Because when you, when, you, when you feel that way, you begin to look at other people that way, and then you begin to be judgmental. And then when you go into the process, oh, he's just like me. Okay. Does it change your relationship with God? Um, I will agree with Carlos. It, it made mine closer. Um, when God is all you need, what they said, when God is all you have, he's all you need, you hear all these things, they really mean something at that point. But um, I, I never lo lost, um, I always remember that regardless to my, my, uh, my marital status may have changed, but my spiritual status never changed. I was still an heir and joint heir with Christ Jesus. I always knew that. I had a relationship <laughs> with God before I was divorced. So there was nothing that anybody could tell me that it's going to eclipse my relationship with God because I'm still heaven bound. Amen. It makes me more humble and grateful, more appreciative to God. It makes me want to continue to be a better father, a better husband, a better example on my job, in my community. Um, it, it humbles you. It makes you humble and hungry. And it wants me to continue to help and love people. Oh, God. Humble and hungry. Yeah, humble and hungry. Lord, have mercy. Sister. No, um... As everyone else has said, it should bring you closer to God because when we go through a transitional period when we really don't know what to do, we only have one source, right? We got to look to the Father on, on guidance and what we should do. So hopefully, you know, even though we are left broken by divorce, homes are broken by divorce, that we will draw closer, you know, to the Father. He's our only answer. I don't see any other way to get through it. Well, I think that uh, experiencing something um, as drastic as a divorce uh, is a major, major trial in your life. And I think that uh, having going through such a trial, it changes you. Um, but I think that um, the trials that it sends you through can bring you closer um, to God. And I think that, um, you know, it should 
uh, increase your spiritual life, your, your prayer life. I, I think that, um, and then hopefully bring you out of the situation. You know, it's uh, sometimes unfortunate that trials um, bring us closer to God, but that's what they need to do. So um, I do agree that it changes your relationship, but I believe that that change is positive. Absolutely. Well, I think in, in regards to uh, our dealing with individuals going through a transition of their, of their life, we see both sides of it as far as leaders. We see both sides because they're, they're the side that gets angry at God because of what's going on. And they, we have to, have to help them to understand that they, they have to establish a relationship with themselves first. They have to understand who they are. They have to redefine themselves and then re reintroduce themselves to themselves. Because now there's a change going on. There's something new. And because they say, well, I was dealing with, I was going to God before I got to this point. Now I'm here and God didn't do anything. So, they, you know, you have to address that situation because now they have to reintroduce themselves or resolve themselves to God and then become accepted to what's going on and then accept the fact that you know, if you accept it, you take ownership of it. Okay, I'm, I'm in this position because of myself or, or what I allowed to happen. You know, and God was, God, you know, we find out that God has given you the strength to deal with whatever that situation is. And so when, when you get to this point to where you accept that fact, then you reintroduce yourself to God and you become more closer to him through prayer. And it's a daily, it's a daily process. It doesn't happen overnight because what you went through didn't happen overnight. So it's a daily process. Amen. Amen. How many of you were helped this morning in some shape or form? As, as, as I said, this is, just going, this is just the beginning of the preaching and panel series. There are a myriad of things we did not deal with. Uh, we did not deal with what happens when there's unfaithfulness. Uh, in a marriage, okay, um, because that's another pachyderm. It's a pachyderm, yeah. No one ever get, comes up and when it's time for confession time and says, brother, to the church I've sinned, I, you know, I, uh, well, I've, I've actually heard something like this happen before, which blew my mind. I thought it was funny, you know. Pray for me and then pray for my wife and pray for my girlfriend as well. <laughs> But these things, <laughs> these things are real issues, right? Uh, we have not talked about the effects of what happened in your childhood when your childhood follows you into your marriage. When the little girl in you is messing up the couple in your house. Or the little boy in you is messing up the couple in your house. These are all things we're going to deal with. Uh, 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 the panelists uh, might change slightly, but we'll try to get these same panelists. But right now, I believe that there's somebody who heard something uh, and needs to know that in spite of your situation, whether you grew up in a divorce home, uh, in a single parent home for whatever reason, wh whatever it looks like, whether you're a divorcee, whether you're divorced and remarried, I choose... As the minister here doing my shift, this is my shift, it'll be as long as God says so, and then God will move me on. I, that's just how it works with all preachers and leaders. You serve in the shift. During my shift, that we're not going to play private eye and dig into, I don't have time nor do I have energy to go into every brother's life 
and every member's life and try to figure out if they should be married again. Is this marriage? Is it? No, I don't have time to do that. You know why? Because at the end of the day, God is judge, he's jury, he's rewarder. And if some of us would just lose our God complex and our fellowship, I think our fellowship would be a lot further. Suffice it to say, some people who were looking and inquired and called me thought that that was the approach I was taking. It's time for healing. And it's time for us to stop being beat up by our own camp. Amen? Amen. So if you're here and you need prayer for anything, maybe there's somebody in your family. Maybe there's, you know, sometimes as an adult child, your parents can. uh, There are many adult children that see their parents split. Because as one of the panelists said, the kids were the reason. Whatever the situation is, maybe you're in a relationship, you're dating, and you're wanting things to go, you know, you're wanting things to go right, right? You're wanting this to be it. Here's the, here's the issue. Keep in mind that the will of God will always be for the good of man. Everybody say that. The will of God, will, of God will, always be will always be for the good of man. The will of God is not against the will of man. So if you're praying, Lord, I just want this to work, and you're dating, and it doesn't work, God may be saving both of you. Hello? It's better for it to not work when you boo, when you just booze. It's a different thing when it's not working when you're Mr. and Mrs. So it's praying time. Uh, This was very sensitive. I want to and, and, and thank with me those who had the courage uh, to be <laughs> panelists. This takes a lot of courage to sit and to expose yourself. So to Sister Clayton, uh, to Brother Landrum, to Brother Carlos, thank you so much for your courage. Thank you for your tenacity, and thank you for your testimony. For uh, Sister Jackie Rogers and Sister Kim Brown, they're giving advice that people pay for. So thank you for lending yourselves. Thank you both. Free, you, free 99 is what you paid for. I'm not saying, now, I'm not saying it's going to be free if you talk to them after. <laughs> Because that is their livelihood. But, uh, and again, Bishop Gay, we appreciate you representing the bishop. So stand to your feet, everyone. We're not even going to do a song. Praise leaders will give you a voice a break. Uh, next week, you'll, you'll be here strong, but uh, it's praying time. Maybe there's somebody here and you need prayer. We're not wanting to know your business. If you don't want to fill out a card, you just want to connect. We're going to ask our panelists if you would descend from the pulpit so that we can connect with these who need prayer. Maybe you're a couple, you're struggling, you need to come. It's praying time. God knows where you are, and this is going to be a place of healing. This is going to be a place of deliverance. This is going to be a place where we hold up God's standard, but we, watch this, we don't take his grace for granted, but we take advantage of it. That's why it's there. Because if you don't take advantage of God's grace, you end up trying to live without it. 
And who in here can live without the grace of God? Who in here can make it without God's grace? Whatever it is, young person, you're going through something, let's pray about it. If you're here and you're looking for a church home and you want to resume your discipleship somewhere, maybe you're here and you say, I'm not Church of Christ. I don't know about the church. Just come on. If you want to be, if you want this to be the place where you continue your pursuit of truth and your pursuit of discipleship, we want you here. There are no bouncers at the door here. As a matter of fact, I think we got rid of all of the ecclesiastical bouncers that try to stand at the door and evaluate you and get, give a rundown on your personal history before you be, become part of this local family. God adds to the spiritual church, to the church, the body of Christ, and he adds to the kingdom. But if you want this to be your local family, we believe you'll get everything you need to get here. Amen. So you come on down, whatever you need. We're going to sing a verse of the song.